if you honestly pick up a company that considers your solution as their go-to tool and you say, yeah, uh, look, um, we, we know we're not perfect, but hey, we can develop that together. We know that you're super experienced. We know that you have a real pain and we know that we can solve it with Retrace if we carefully listen to you and understand exactly what you need in order to solve this pain point. For a reduced price, you can use our platform for three months and we invest in you as if you would already sign a contract for two years. So we are fully onboarding you. We are fully helping you. We're fully educating you and your team and even onboard your suppliers. And you can even decide after the three months to jump off. Why do we do that? Because with this, we give them the full experience and we can get the full learnings. COVID changed everything. This helped us to pivot into this new direction from a green marketing tool towards a sustainability management platform. And the problem was that in order to verify data and to communicate data, there needs to be data in the first place, well-structured data that we can quickly tap into. But this data didn't exist. <laughs> Companies had their famous Excel files, super big spreadsheets, but getting this data then into our platform was horrible. If there is no standardized way of storing data for sustainability management, why not offering that? Welcome to Mission First, the podcast to learn from successful entrepreneurs changing the world for the better. Are you in the first three years of your company and do you want to save time by avoiding making the same mistakes that lots of entrepreneurs have already done? Then make sure to follow this podcast because you are going to get actionable strategies coming directly from those who have found product market fit and are scaling up fast with their for-profit companies or their NGOs. Think about it as a masterclass about product innovation, business models, leadership, and growth marketing. Bonjour, bonjour. I am Gilles Toussaint. I help entrepreneurs have a bigger impact with this podcast, and I also help mission-driven companies increase their revenue more efficiently with growth marketing and my company, GT Impact. Are you into sustainable fashion, transparency, or supply chain? Then this episode is for you. I'm glad to welcome Lucas Punder, co-founder of Retraced. Retraced is a SaaS platform which is making the fashion industry more transparent and more sustainable. Started in 2018, they now have more than 55 brands on board for which they've mapped and traced more than 3,000 suppliers and more than 2 million products. They have more than 30 people working from 10 different countries, have a revenue close to more than seven digit revenue with a 15% month-on-month revenue growth, and they've raised a total of 2.5 million of funding. And Lucas has prepared some advice about a particular topic that made Retraced, I think, so successful, which is how to become successful at B2B sales by seeing your clients as partners. Lucas, thank you very much for being here today. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm great. How are you? Very good. I'm really happy to have you here. We know each other. We had the chance to work together a bit before and I've seen how, how much you grew with Retrace since I think two years uh, we met for the first time. So I'm really excited to talk about that. So tell me a bit about Retrace. I've tried to describe it a bit. Tell me with your own word what Retrace does and what's your mission behind what Retrace is doing. Yeah, I, I guess your introduction was already super good. So the idea with Retrace is to build a platform that works with brands as well as with suppliers in order to help them to get a better overview over their supply chains. In the end, that means better data collection, better data management, better overview of what's collected. And all of this in the field of sustainability and compliance. Um, so that means we are helping companies 
to really just get a good overview of where the company is, to evaluate where they want to be in the future and where they are right now and what to do in order to come from A to B. And in the final step, it's then usually about sharing this data. Um, in the beginning, this could mean sharing towards the consumer, so the final person that's holding the garment in their hands and wants to know where it's coming from. But it could, of course, also mean to share data between business partners. Um, it could mean sharing data with the government because they're forcing you to show certain reports. So, of course, here the situation is changing and the demands and the requirements towards the company with this, the pressure is growing constantly. So that's why this reporting is, of course, becoming more and more relevant. Yeah, timing is also critical. This is something we can tackle also briefly later. Can you explain me a bit about how the retraced ID come from, how you went from the ID to the incorporation of the company? Because I know you had a specific uh, experience that made you, you know, switch or start retrace at the time. Yeah, that's true. We actually, let's say, stumbled into the fashion industry five years back. Actually, it's more than five years by now. It was back in 2016 where Philip and I, one of my co-founders, uh, started a sustainable footwear brand called Kano, CNO. And actually it was just an idea because we said, okay, we have to, we want to see how it works to start a company, to do something, to sell something. Um, and yeah, it started, you know, like as, as one of these, I don't want to call it stupid ideas, but you know, like these decisions, they're just like, yeah, it feels like the right step. Let's go for it. Uh, at the time I was still doing my master's. And with this, we, with this idea, we actually then quickly stumbled into the fashion industry. I mean, uh, first of all, we made experiences how to sell products and how difficult that actually can be uh, doing e-commerce and uh, how difficult it is to design products. I mean, we're working with shoes and again, something like making sure that they fit is super relevant. And we didn't really consider that in the beginning, but we also realized how difficult it is to actually get a good overview of what's happening in your supply chains and kind of making transparent for yourself and for your clients, where your products are coming from and how they have been manufactured. And with this problem, uh, we actually already started in our second year in the beginning of 2018 uh, to check the market and scan the market if there's any kind of tool out there to get better transparency into our supply chains for ourselves and for our clients. And we didn't find anything. So that was the time where we then decided, okay, let's build something ourselves. Um, let's build an own sustainability or transparency tool that helps us with this. And we did that in 2018 and actually launched a very simple product in that year, but then quickly realized if we want to do that bigger, it's a very, very big project. And at the same time, we're not the only ones that need something like that, because of course we were speaking to many other brands that had similar issues. And that's why we said, okay, let's, let's take the solution, the concept that we have developed that in, in 2018, take it out of Kano and found known company and out of this kind of step retraced was born. And at that time, we also onboarded uh, my third co-founder, Peter, as a CTO. Fun fact, Jill, you know it, but I think it's always great to share. Uh, Philip, Peter, and I, we went actually to high school together. So we know each other by now over 20 years. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously we lost track of each other for a couple of years after finishing high school because everyone went in their own direction. But now we're all back together. And yeah, other three co-founders have retraced. And that's pretty much the story. And you ended up like, I remember, so you went to pick Peter, your co-founder, because you knew he was like the geek you needed to be, to become the CTO and, uh, you are the CEO and what was, what is Philip's role? Philip actually took over the role as uh, kind of as an in-between position between Peter and me, and that's the CPO. So really being the product owner, because we realized in the beginning, this was heavily managed by tech and probably that was one of, I would say biggest mistakes. I mean, Peter did a great job there. But he always had the tech position in mind. 
And we realized then very early on that it's super important to have someone that, let's say, consolidates all the input we get from our clients, from industry experts, from potential clients in feedback conversations and from any other stakeholder and conceptualizes in proper features and good ideas to conceptualize those and then give them to Peter, who then brings them to life. And I think that was one of the best steps uh, to split each other up like this to make sure that we have a proper product development. Talking about Kano, so your, your shoes, uh, is it still on now? Uh, yes, it is still up and running. It's doing actually well. Uh, it's obviously a small company. I mean, we're producing a couple of thousand pairs a year. That's like in, in dimensions of a, of a fashion company, a comparably small, but of course, it first of all helps us a lot to get direct insights, how supply chains look like, where the struggles are and uh, what you can do. And how far you can go when it comes to data collection and so on. And of course, it, it, it displayed the need to us. And of course, it's a hard project because everything started with it. I mean, it's already a company that's now existing for five years. And we have a, a small but very good team that is helping us to keep the company up and running and to make sure that we are constantly growing and staying profitable. Because Kano, in comparison to Retrace, is bootstrapped. Um, so here it's really about our own resources. Yeah, so we have to to make sure that we are working efficiently and yeah, and cope with the resources that we have at hand. Um, but Philip and I, we are not active in Kano anymore. That was a decision we made actually one and a half years back, and there are two reasons. The one is the strategic one. We realized that we're not the right people anymore um, because I mean, Kano and Retrace Retrace are very far away from each other. Retrace is a is a digital product. It's a software. And Kano is a physical product and Kano is sold mostly direct to consumer. So it's B2C and Retrace is fully B2B. And getting this right in your head, you know, jumping from Kano to Retrace and back in one day is super difficult. And, and the result was that we focused more and more on Retrace as we realized the potential behind this idea and got more and more away from the daily business of Kano. And we still tried to make the decisions for Kano, which was horrible because you know, like you kind of hear something uh, at your side and you're like looking around and you're just shouting something like, yeah, let's do it like this. And uh, and then you directly like realize two weeks later, oh, that was super stupid. It was not a well-informed decision. You're too far away and you're just disrupting the team that knows what's going on. So from that strategic point, we had to decide to move back more and more. So more being kind of in the a consulting field to say, yeah, if you have questions and there is a very specific problem, we might be able to help you with the experiences that we made before and we can brainstorm together. So this is the position that we still have, but we cannot make the daily decisions. And then, of course, with the funding rounds we had with Retraced, the investors, of course, asked us if they give us money for Retraced to please also focus on Retraced. So th that was the other reason, uh, which, of course, makes a lot of sense. So they're officially since the end of 2020, so now for one year and a bit. We had to also legally then go away from Kano and step away from the management position. So there. you're still the yeah. owner of the company. You've delegated the, the whole management, basically. Exactly. And delegated now sounds like we have someone and we still overview. Technically, we're, we're trying to grow co-founders, uh, like a new team of founders with their own vision of Kano. Oh, okay. Because it would also doesn't make sense if I go there now, again, being super far away from the daily business and, and trying to push my vision into the company. So what we rather to try to do is to to actually redefine Kano based on what the new management team thinks is right. And that's the way how we do it. So delegation sounds like I'm still in charge, but I actually try to be not at all. Yeah. 
Very good. Let's focus then on, on Retraced. And thank you very much for, for sending me the, the do's and don'ts. Let's, let's dig directly into that. So we identify an angle which, which was very specific to Retrace, which was how you have became successful at B2B sales by really seeing your client as partners. And so thank you for sending me this list of advice. The first one I'd like to talk about is because it's where I think everything starts as well as you said, innovation is good, solving a problem is better. Can you explain me a bit more about this one? Yeah, I mean, it technically it just perfectly fits into into the picture that we actually where we were just with telling the story from Kano to Retrace and how we then kind of picked up. So maybe I just kind of proceed with this to give you another like the story of Retrace how and how we developed and ended up at the solution that we have built now. Because originally when we kicked off Retrace, we actually started more as a green marketing tool. So we had this idea of blockchain, great innovation. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a great technology in a way of storing data. It can create trust if, if implemented correctly. I'm, I don't want to get into the field of blockchain now, but you know, we were turning everything around this idea. And the idea was to verify data for brands coming from the supply chain and to communicate this data that has been verified in the first step in order to create transparency for the consumer, to create trust. And with this kind of trust to increase the perceived product value. Because with this idea was that consumers could then engage with this information quickly and could see if that fits their values. And because the data is verified, they were also sure that this data is correct. And then they could make a, let's say, more well-informed purchasing decision. And the idea is, of course, to create a purchase uh, incentive here for, for the consumers, for the brand. So that was the business case. I, I was curious because it's true. I, I'm on your website right now. And I remember blockchain, we worked together two years ago, was a part of the story. And now I don't see it anymore. So I'm really curious about you explaining me what's the next part. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely correct. So yeah, and then we kicked off first project. It was great. We worked with sustainability leaders in the fashion industry, had great partners, did some great projects, but all of them, I won't say failed, but were super difficult. And that was in the beginning of 220, like after one year of product development. So we were already very deep in the topic, already invested quite a bit of money. And the problem was that we then quickly identified with these first projects that in order to verify data and to communicate data, there needs to be data in the first place and well-structured data that we can quickly tap into. But this data didn't exist. <laughs> um, so companies had their famous Excel files, super big spreadsheets, but getting this data then into our platform was horrible. <laughs> it took so much manual work, like copy-pasting from one to the other, that all the projects were, again, like, took super long time to implement. And when you think of a business case, we're not really a good idea because even if the effect was there and consumers liked the idea, it was so much work to get the data to them that it was barely feasible. And, and that was actually the time when Philip stepped in and said, okay, we need to develop actually a product. And all this famous term product market fit came in, said like, yeah, I mean, we need to develop a, a product that actually is solving a need. And yes, communication towards the consumer and creating trust is potentially a need, but not for everyone, because not everyone wants to share their data. So, so the market an incentive, that we were right? serving. Exactly. It's it's nice. And it's we are still using it. And around half of our clients are still using the communication feature. But the other group of companies are with us because of a completely different reason. And that's the one that we then developed with these learnings that we had in the beginning of 220. And that was that we said, okay, if there is no standardized way of storing data for sustainability management, why not offering that? And this is exactly what we trace us today. And we say, okay, we have to move from a green marketing tool where it's about verification of data and communication to move to the to a platform where it's about easy collection of data 
easy storing of data and getting a good overview of where I am. And then maybe in the third step to communicate and share this data. And this is now what Retrace is. We developed then a managed sustainability management platform in order to help companies to collect the data in an efficient way, to store the data with having a good overview and a good visualization where I am and where I want to be and what I need to do to come from A to B. And then in the final step, to actually share this data towards the consumer. And with this, we actually pivoted. Technically, it's, it's a complete pivot because we moved from this green marketing tool towards an actual management platform. Um, and yeah, luckily the timing was very, very good. Uh, we have been super lucky. I mean, you already mentioned in the intro earlier because now the requirements for fashion companies, brands, as well as suppliers is constantly growing, especially here in Germany or in Europe, the government, but also NGOs, investors, banks, they require more and more information around the sustainability standards in the supply chain that obviously the requirements for a management platform for these sustainability standards is becoming more and more relevant. And this, of course, helped us a lot last year to further grow and to get a lot of interest in our platform. You went, you studied as a green marketing tool. You, you sold, you had a few clients with that, but most of them, you realized that like the the data collection was the big issue. They, I remember clients had some tools, right? Some of them were using Excel sheets, but there were some tools because that was one of the hesitation you had at the time. But did you realize that then the tools were not exactly answering the needs that they needed? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this idea of sustainability management is still comparably young. And you're right. They are like supply chain management tools, which are usually used for logistics or they are PLM, uh, product lifecycle management systems. But... And you can probably twist them in a way that they also serve the idea of sustainability management. And that is partly done. But these systems, you cannot use out of the box for sustainability management because the original purpose is a different one. And, and companies start to realize that, that if they try to bend a supply chain management tool into like a sustainability management platform, this doesn't work. And again, and that's, I think, the, the most important reason, especially for bigger companies to join Retrace right now, is this overarching idea of not participating on a software, but on a platform or even a network. Because, I mean, the idea of Retrace is that every company has their own profile. And by connecting to the profile, you can access all the data that is stored in this profile. And you can start to communicate with the profile. Yeah, And behind this profile is, of course, a supplier or another brand that you share requests and, and comments and start to engage in a very standardized and digital way. Of course, the idea is here that you're not only participating as a standalone network, but that there's another brand that is also having their supply network. And these supply chain networks might overlay, right? There might be a couple of suppliers that are participating in both supply chains. So the idea is not that you have a one-on-one -on -one connection with your suppliers, but that there are other brands also participating with the suppliers. They are similar to LinkedIn or Instagram. If I have 10 followers on Instagram and I upload a picture, 10 people will benefit from it, will see it. If I have 2,000 followers on Instagram and I upload a picture, 2,000 people will probably see it. And this is the same network effect that we are also playing with. So the longer we exist and the more companies we can convince to use our software, our platform, the more companies will join in the supply chain side as well and the more overlaps we will have. So our goal right now is to create this critical mass of companies that technically every company that comes in is benefiting from this network effect. And, and of course, this is, let's say, the long shot of our solution not being just like a platform in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your suppliers, but building this huge network with all the suppliers and all the brands that can communicate on an eye-to-eye level. And to stay on that pivot for a second or a minute, 
it always has some risk to move from one you know, model to the other. So at that time, how did you make the move from that solution A to the current one? Is it because you talked to 20 clients and 20 clients said that, and then you say, okay, let's move everything, let's build a parallel platform, and then we'll suggest it and move it directly to, the, to all the new ones? Or did you have a big client that said, okay, we're going to make this big pilot with big client, and if that works, we know that then we are on the right way, and you move like that? Uh, that's actually a very great question, and I will give you the honest answer. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I mean, I just said, right, this project started in the beginning of 220. And as everyone knows, in March 220, the first COVID wave hit Europe. And I think because of this, I already want to say lucky coincidence, <laughs> but because of this, obviously nothing worked anymore. The fashion industry was in shock. Yeah, because the supply chains collapsed, the revenue collapsed because suddenly um, the whole retail was closed, right? I mean, you all remember that. And and then on the revenue side, you have issues, you have on the supply chain issues. So all the companies were in survival mode. Our clients were not interested anymore in talking with us because they said, hey, we have something more important to do, which is survival, focusing on the core business, making sure that I still live at the end of this year. And this, of course, gave us time to reflect because suddenly everything was standing still. We didn't do any sales anymore. We did barely any marketing because it was not worth it. No one was checking it out. And of course, this time helps you to reflect. And obviously, it forces you to reflect because you obviously your current business model is not working anymore. And that time helped us, of course, to speak to clients like, hey, like, why are we stopping? What's the problem? And how's it going? What's, you know, where we are with, where are we with the project? And there we collected a lot of feedback. And it was luck maybe that this came and that we had the time to actually look into it uh, and were not disturbed by the daily business and by all the noise that happened around the company um, to really reflect on, do we actually have product market fit? Is what we're doing here actually good? Does it make sense? Do we actually solve a problem or is it just a nice to have tool that you might be able to use? And in this time, like taking the time off because COVID kind of blocked all the business the necessity to change because like COVID changed everything. So you obviously need to do something about that. This helped us um, to kind of build this new idea to pivot into this new direction from a green marketing tool towards a sustainability management platform. And then you moved completely. Then you, you made the change in optimizing during the, the first few months of COVID. Yes, exactly. So that was the time when, again, Philip moved into the, into the product owner position to better standardize the project or the process for gathering feedback from our clients and potential clients and other stakeholders. Because I mean, there are a lot of external experts, sustainable consultancies, the government. I mean, also there are a lot of initiatives and very experienced people that we could start to talk to and Philip streamlined everything, built a whole process around it in order to understand what our clients need, how the market is developing and then let's say overarching path. And uh, what we need to do in order to solve the issues that appear for our clients, but also with the developments uh, in the whole industry. We're going to talk about sales in the next questions. So this is probably a good way to, to jump to that. Did you notice when you find real product market fit, then everything becomes easier? Sales, growth and everything. Is it something that you figured out, like uh, that you, you noticed after you, you made the switch? Did you directly were able to see uh, the difference? Actually, yes. I mean, maybe not directly in results, but everything felt more natural, I would say. The clients were more, in, or the potential clients were more interested in listening to us. They were more interested to give their feedback, uh, to engage with us. And also the size of clients tremendously changed, uh, which makes a lot of sense because obviously when it's about green marketing, it's especially for companies 
that still want to grow and that try out marketing features and tools that help them to, again, attract new clients and to sharpen their brand. And when it's about management, you probably have the need for management. That means you have sufficiently large supplier network where it makes sense to move away from an Excel sheet to an actual manager platform to get you better over B. Because if you have two supply chains, let's face it, you do not need an, a management platform. You are fine with the Excel sheet for sure because of the five, six, seven companies that you have to monitor. That's completely fine. But if you suddenly have 30, 40 direct suppliers and 200 companies behind that, then suddenly it's getting very, very helpful if you have a better tool that helps you to, to manage all of that. So perfect way to jump to the next part. Then the second do you send me is, so see your clients as your partners. Go to the past to what the best solution together. So you were mentioning how engaged the client are and giving feedback and everything. So can you explain that part, what you mean exactly? Uh, absolutely. It's something I think that's, that's currently making us successful. Because, I mean, first of all, even when you make this strategic shift, right, as we did in 220, the product is not there yet. I mean, you just start to develop the features. And at that point, you talk to companies already, right? You try to convince them to maybe already use what's there, but not all the features they require is there. Did you change the business model at the same time? Like the way people pay? Yes, it also changed because in the beginning, we charged kind of per product or per impression in the online shop because everything was around this green marketing tool. So we said it's about also then the marketing value we create. Or we said, okay, we are a management platform, then other criteria play a much more important role. And nowadays, this is around the features you need because, again, like some need more features to manage their supply chains, some need less. So obviously, this needs to determine the price because it determines the value we can bring to the client. And then, of course, the complexity of the clients. Um, how many people use it? How big is the company? How big is the supplier network? And all of these things also play into role when it comes to the price they have to pay. But yeah, uh, kind of uh, going back to this idea of having suppliers as a partner, not everything is there from, from the start, right? But if you, if you honestly pick up a company that considers your solution as their go-to tool, and you say, yeah, uh, look, um, we, we know we're not perfect, but hey, we can develop that together because like, we are relying on the feedback of the companies that are participating on our platform. And we know that you are super experienced. We know that you have a real pain. And we know that we can solve it with Retrace if we carefully listen to you and understand exactly what you need in order to solve this pain point. And the, the companies we are working with, these are not enterprise, but these are human beings, right? They, they run the company. And if you're able to, to trustworthily and honestly share this and, and you can convince them yeah, that we are also, from a tech perspective, the right people to translate the pain point into a solution and then build the right tool around it then these companies are willing to go for you and they are willing, maybe not everyone, but at least some that you can really convince. And obviously the knowledge that you get out of these companies is outstanding. Yeah. I mean, they really let you in, in their brain to tell you, okay, this is my daily business. This is where I'm stuck. This is where the exit file is coming to its limits. This is where I need help. This is all the tasks that I'm doing all day long. Um, and then you can also try to prioritize because you know, okay, this is something he spends 10 hours per week. This is something he only spends two hours. So let's start with the 10 hours because obviously it's a bigger pain point because he's spending so much more time on it. And, and doing all of that and doing that not only just with one company, but maybe three, four, five, six, 10, 20. And you have the capacity and the team that can bring all this feedback together and accumulate it. You suddenly get a very, very clear message in what to develop next. And it helps us so much to prioritize, at least from theory, because uh, I know 
before this uh, conversation, we just had the chat um, about like how we use the Christmas break. Because I mean, then obviously you realize in all the buzz that's happening around you and all the communication that is happening and in the growth and coping with the processes internally that come with growth, you might still lose track sometimes uh, because you might listen to the wrong company that's slightly outside of your perfect target group. And then you are shifting towards this company. And with this, of course, you're not going in a straight line as you would prefer to create the maximum value in the shortest time possible, but you like take a couple of detours, but it's super important to always realize that early on, again, by speaking to your clients, taking their feedback series and trying to readjust that you're back coming to this straight route towards maximized value creation for your clients. How is that typical process looking like from the moment when a client, you reach out or the clients reach out to you with a potential interest in your solution and your solution is not perfect to selling them a deal by saying them, this is going to cost you, so you have to pay, but this is not perfect yet. We're going to develop it together. Is it for a few weeks, an onboarding period? Is it months? Do you put a, your product manager on it or do you put a key account manager with it? Do you interact every week, every day? Do you set up a, I don't know, Asana a Slack channel with the client? So how is that practically looking like? Yeah, it, it's many different angles how we try to ensure that. The first of all is how the partnership is set up. Um, so how it works is that we always say, whatever happens, we start with a trial period. Uh, and this is, depends on how big the risk is for the client to use our system. Yeah, usually it's around three months and we say, hey, for a reduced price, you can use our platform for three months. And we invest in you as if you would already sign a contract for two years. Uh, so we are fully onboarding you. We are fully helping you. We're fully educating you and your team and even onboard your suppliers. And you can even decide after the three months to jump off. Why do we do that? Because with this, we give them the full experience and we can get the full learnings. Even if, because of course, if the client jumps off after three months, it's like huge loss. Where the customer acquisition costs, right? Like maybe three, four months before we signed the contract of discussing, showing demo after demo. And then we had the onboarding, right? Which costs hours over hours, probably thousands of euros to onboard one client. And it only pays off if he stays probably at least for 12 months. But we still do it because of the learnings that we get with this. And of course, always the chance to step back for the client so that we reduce the risk for them. But the learning is still there. So it's reduced um, period plus trial period, uh, reduced price yes. plus trial period. Exactly. And then of course, we come to the way of how we gather the feedback and how we then work with the clients. And for this, we first of all have a dedicated team. So we have like a customer excellence team that is working with every client um, and it's kind of treating them as we our own client. At least that's the idea of what we're trying to do here, especially right now where we're still in the learning phase where, where our product is far away from being mature. And we try to exactly be as close as we can to the client. Yeah? And of course, there are a couple of triggers that we are using here. First of all, we have a chat function on our product. So you can have like this little help button and it's my favorite function that we still have on our platform and you can click on it and the chat opens. And you can write whatever question you have. And we will re respond within minutes every time. And that's like a core policy and a core KPI that we are tracking. Next to that, uh, we have regular, then in these three months, right, in this onboarding period where we are trying out, we have, we're defining clear goals and have like constant update calls. I know it's every two weeks, like where we officially meet and discuss the project progress because this gives again additional feedback. And the clients love that because they get the feeling that we take them super serious. Yeah. And they can share their anger, their frustration, maybe their happiness and what's going well, what's going not so well. And obviously we collect that 
with as much feedback as we can. And the stronger the emotion of the client, the more people we get involved in the call uh, to the point that when someone is super happy or super sad, that we even get maybe Philip in there as again, co-founder and product owner, um, to, to see that he can directly feel the emotions that are happening there and to take most out of it. Um, the good or the bad. The good and the bad, obviously, because if things are going well, that shows, okay, we're on the right track. Uh, maybe we can even use that for another feature. Yeah. Because obviously there seems to be something that's going extremely well, uh, or like the frustration and then always says, okay, we are missing something here. Our hypothesis was wrong. The implementation was not right. Something like that. Um, and here we just try to share it. And now we are trying to implement another line, which is a data-driven contact approach. Um, I guess it's very common when you're trying to grow and trying to streamline your customer success team is that you're not only saying every two weeks we are meeting, but to also define certain data KPIs that help you uh, to understand how the client is using the system and to trigger certain action points. Yeah? So to say, hey, if a client is adapting a certain feature and is logging in every day, that shows like, oh, he's really you know, using the system. He's fully adapting to it. So maybe we go to the next step and invite the suppliers of this company. Or we see this company is barely logging in. Obviously, he, the customer doesn't see the value. In it. Uh, otherwise, he would use it, right? And, and, and then going in here and say, hey, maybe the onboarding wasn't right. Yeah, maybe we didn't help you. Maybe the problems we thought you have are not the ones that we're tackling right now. And you maybe have different ones. Yeah? And, and then, of course, it's also about getting feedback. Because maybe that means that our target group was seen too wide and we can only serve a smaller group of clients or a bigger one. Yeah. And, and these are all the thoughts we have. And, and of course, I'm, I'm telling you again, like the best case and, and best world scenario, obviously in the day-to-day business in the stressful world we're living in, this not always works perfectly, but we always try to remind ourselves that this is the right approach to build the best, you called earlier SaaS platform. I think we're far away from that because building SaaS means like we don't need to be involved. And as I just explained, we're involved a lot in the onboarding, but building a platform. Yeah. So a standardized solution for your target group is probably kind of the best way to tackle this, to get as much feedback as we can. Uh, and we're still a very young company that is still learning so much. And it's very, very far away again from a mature solution. So learning is still our, our major job. Yeah, but as you said, I think one of the learning for everyone listening to this is partnering with your clients. And also, I really love the part about data analysis of the behavior of your clients to be able to identify that. That's something you cannot do on all you know industries, but with the software, it's something that you can definitely do. And I, I really think going back to your first point, it's, it is when you really solve a client's pain that actually it's easy for them to get involved in this kind of like partnership to solve their pain. It's the same thing for developing courses or like online training for something. And just a note here, for example, I've started like self-promotion a bit here, but I've studied the LinkedIn online training to help entrepreneurs and green startups to, or to help all their team to actually learn to organically use their personal branding to share their story about the brand. And I studied that with Don Dunham, which is actually one of your, one of the person I met through Retrace. I know it's one of your clients, but as you said, reduce price in exchange of feedback, because it's still a training in beta for me on my side, was something that is, is working very well, because I think they were really happy and they needed someone to help them with that. And I guess over-invest in the projects, putting as much resource in as possible, even if it's from a financial point of view, doesn't make sense at all. In the long-term strategy, it pays off uh, tenfold, probably. Because we learn so much that we know the next time we don't do it wrong. I think it's also important to make it with paying clients. 
That's also yep. a difference because I've done this kind of thing when you try to develop a training with like free stuff, then people are not involved. When you know yep. you are solving a real pain where you are actually, people are actually willing to pay for it, even if it's not perfect yet. Yes, it's correct. They need to feel the responsibility. It's the same thing with a gym membership, right? Yep. Uh, I mean, you could technically do it at home while well, you don't. Uh, so <laughs> it needs to hurt a little bit uh, to feel reminded. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we had this conversation probably one and a half years back or two years back. Uh, when you helped us to build the strategy for our sales uh, in the beginning, uh, where we also said, yeah, maybe we offer it for free. And, and we realized together that this doesn't work. Uh, because again, yeah, they, we might get the signing, but we don't get the engagement. And then again, all of this is not helping. Totally. So fake it until you make it. Uh, I love what you said here is fake it until you make it is a double-edged sword that quickly cuts deep. I'd love to hear what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, it goes hand in hand with what I explained earlier. I mean, treating clients as partners means also to be honest and transparent. Again, like they they will understand that you don't have everything perfect. So if you overpromise and oversell just to get the signature, you might get them for a couple of months, but they will quickly realize like, mm, you know, you promised much more. It's not here. I'm not satisfied anymore because the expectations were set wrong. Um, and that's why it's a double-edged sword because yes, you might get the signing. Yes, you can report that you make the revenue here, but it will cut you because they will jump off again uh, or they will be very disappointed or you have to do super much manual work for them in order to kind of offset uh, your technical missing elements, yeah, the, the technical shortcomings. So that's why we actually always try to be very transparent where we are right now. And I know. Uh, if I would now have like a sales expert, they would say, yeah, but you still kind of, you know, you always need to present yourself well, but that's a completely different topic. Yeah. I mean, you can still say, we understand your problem and we know we have the solution, but then adding to this, not everything is there yet, but we know exactly what you still need. And this will come and this will come. And maybe there we can invite you to help us in the product development. And again, you suddenly get the engagement, right? And we are back to the first point. So being honest. I think can pay off very well, especially nowadays, because everyone is overselling. And I mean, you're not speaking to idiots, right? You speak with experts. Yeah. When we sell to someone, we sell to the sustainability manager of a company that might do their job for 10, 15, 20 years. These guys know their stuff. Yeah. And if I'm overselling, they will ask the questions that hurt. Maybe not immediately, maybe not before contract signing, but latest when the project starts, they were like, yeah. we talked about this function. You said you have it. I don't see it anywhere. Can you tell me please where it is? And we're like, yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe uh, next month it will come. So, so again, did like that happen? Of course. Yeah. And I mean, what, how, how, did you, how did you manage that? What's your best advice when that happens? Because we all fell into that. Yeah. I mean, again, using the right approach and being honest. The German saying, das Kind ist in Brunnen gefallen, right? The child fell into the spring. Yeah. Uh, the problem is there. And you can, of course, try to lie further and say, yeah, you know, it's currently <laughs> off and it will come next week. But again, like this will just increase the internal pressure because you need to rush, right? Because then maybe you really then overpromise again and say, yeah, it will be there next month. And then product development will hate you again. And all the developers are like, yeah, hey, we're sweating already. Like, how should that happen? We can't make it work that fast. You might bring a faulty product to the market. Everything we did, right? I mean, everything I tell you, all the mistakes we, we went through. You bring then a product that's not mature enough, so it's then faulty, it doesn't work properly. So just be honest. So do you use Chris Voss' approach saying, you're going to yeah. hate me, but actually 
Yes, exactly. Label label all the issues you have and, and be super honest, yeah, and, and take them the firepower as well. Uh, and like, I mean, that's then heavy negotiation, right? Say, I know we did wrong. I know we did this wrong. I know we did this wrong. I know we did this wrong. But now I, I tell you what we will do about it. I will give you a roadmap and we will plan together. And again, I invite you to help us in order to build this feature. Uh, and it does not always work, yeah, <laughs> of course, but it's the honest and right way. And again, and you will, if you overcome this situation, it will help you. Uh, and what are the alternatives? Again, lying, right? Just trying to again, sneak around it, fake it even more. This will bite you uh, at one mm. point, uh, especially if the amount of clients is increasing, right? Because I mean, technically again, I mean, you said in the intro last year, we grew like by 25% months on months. So imagine that there's another five companies coming in next month and another five and another five. And suddenly you have like 20 companies where you all faked something and, and oversold something. You will never get out of this. This is a vicious circle. You will not survive. Especially if you're not selling projects or software, but you're actually selling a platform where the clients just stay for years to make it really profitable. And so it's not helping me. If you are busy and might not have the time to listen to this full episode or to all episodes of this podcast, just a little tip. Sign up for my newsletter on gtimpact.com. You will receive the summary of advice from each episode and you will get personal recommendations on which episode you should focus on depending on your current challenges, your industry and your startup stage. The last do's and don't you sent me on that uh, topic is a very interesting one. So focus on one target group and one clear need. Ah, it's a, it's the common mistake and we fell for it last year uh, heavily. And I don't know yet how it will pay out, but uh, again, as I said, like we used the Christmas break to readjust and this is exactly what we realized. So, I mean, as you can imagine, maybe a little bit of background here, our core target customer are actually sustainability focused brands. So that have sustainability as part of their DNA, as part of their brand, as part of their sales story. Why? Because we, I mean, can learn from them because they have the insights and because they really want to do better. They want to really improve and, and become more sustainable over time. So obviously there's a natural partnership here uh, where we can both benefit from. Because of this new law here in Germany, the Supply Chain Due Diligence Act, that it's forcing company of a certain size to take sustainability or to take responsibility for the sustainability in the supply chains, another group joined, which still makes a lot of sense because they also have their teams. Here it's not really about sustainability management, but compliance management because they have to comply to a regulation, they have to comply to the law. These are also experts, great, great people that know what they do, but of course the companies are much bigger uh, because only companies in Germany with over 3,000 employees uh, are part of this law right now and a year, year later for 2024 onwards for companies with over 1,000 employees. But these are enterprise clients. These are big companies. So obviously their needs and requirements are different. So we, we opened up for them, but we opened up for a third group. And this is not the biggest issue. And these are the suppliers. And the needs of the suppliers are, again, completely different. I mean, it made sense, right? Because we had the brands and the brands brought their suppliers. And now, of course, you have the suppliers on the platform and you could make them clients. Yeah. How does that work? Because, yeah, I understood that there were brands and for the brands, they had all different suppliers, you know, tier one, tier two from like yeah. organic people who are not in the sustainable fashion industry. Maybe you can just detail for a second what are the different tiers. Uh, I think that would be cool learning for, for those who are not from the sustainable fashion industry. But how does, as all the suppliers were part of the supply chain, not clients. So how do you try to incorporate them as clients? Yeah. I mean, it's... Again, the, the general issue 
of a platform is the chicken egg, right? The, the chicken egg story. Who do you get first? Do you get the brand first? Uh, and then with the brands bring the suppliers or do you try first to get the suppliers and because you have the suppliers and all the data, you get automatically the brands. And we started with brands, as you know, because of our history as a green marketing tool in the beginning and being a brand ourselves, right? We had the most knowledge there. And because obviously the brands, we are a German startup, the brands are located in Europe, at least the strong ones or in the US. We thought, okay, it makes a lot of sense. The proximity, the geographic proximity allows us to directly tackle them. And the suppliers are usually not in Germany anymore, but they're really in, in Southern Europe and Eastern Europe and in, in Southeast Asia, you name it. Yeah? Um, so that's why we start with brands. But again, we then realized, oh, we need the suppliers as well. Kill of the chicken egg problem, because otherwise this platform approach, this communication via retrace doesn't function because the suppliers are not committed and are not logging in into the platform. There's no data exchange. The brand sends an empty or sends a request, but it gets never an answer. So our logic was, okay, we need to incentivize the suppliers in order to be willing to participate. Which makes a lot of sense, yeah, from a general understanding. But with this, you're suddenly building features and functions to incentivize the other group of companies that you want to have on your platform. And suddenly you're in a very, very big mess because you are splitting. And this is exactly what happened for us. And we took this decision now very deliberately, but we actually fell into it. So there was a big supplier that was part of the supply chain network of one of our brands and said, oh, I, I love the idea. It's good. Yeah. Bringing transparency in the fashion industry. I want to use it for myself. I need more. I need this, this, and this function. And this was a very big company and they brought a lot of money in uh, and they even paid us for the product development, but we lost focus like crazy because we started to develop with five or six of our guys, just the tool for them. For the supplier, I mean, of course, we always try to keep it general so that other suppliers could use it too, but we moved away from our actual tech that worked, the brands, yeah, and didn't develop anything for them anymore. And obviously after six months, the brands were like, Hey guys, you know, we, we thought we have this partnership and co-development, like where are your resources? Where's the development over the last couple of months? And we didn't have it. So were you starting to fall behind some deadlines promised to the other brands? that but just our engagement went down because we suddenly focus on the other group i mean it's it's a focus thing right and customers feel that like you were on top of them you were pushing them and say hey give me some feedback let me learn from you come 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 give me more give me more and then suddenly you were like silent and you were going to someone else yeah and and obviously they feel that and they were like yeah, guys yeah i thought this is like a co-development and and you help us out but nothing is happening i have some feedback but no one asked me for it like that was different before um, and we felt that last year. And now we are in the situation that we are serving on the one side suppliers, mostly in the field of traceability. Um, so getting the connections between companies, right? And then working with brands where it's more about not the in-between companies, but the actual companies. So we have supply chain or sustainability management, which is mostly about vendor management, but we work on evaluating the companies. And then we have traceability that's about evaluating the transaction between the companies. Uh, of course, it kind of fits together, together in a whole picture, but it's split our product development team in two. And, and this is how we are living right now. And I'm not sure how it's paying off in the end. Uh, maybe I can tell you in a couple of months how that is going. So we have a team that is working on traceability with the suppliers, and we have a team that is working with the brands on a compliance or sustainability management. And luckily, I mean, because we're getting more and more resources, we are currently able to do that quite all right, but it's still a big stretch and it's a risk. It's the biggest potential of our company because we are as 
a company that can do both. But it's it's the biggest risk because obviously in each field we are competing with specialized companies that only solve the one issue and not both. And there we will see over the next couple of months how well we can manage that. And that's why I thought I put it on the list because it's so fresh in my mind to say, hey, if you at least, if you're splitting up your products and your product development, at least be aware of it. I, I guess it would have helped us already if we would have taken this decision more clearly, more intentionally, instead of just going for it because there was money to get. Uh, and then suddenly realizing like, ooh, that was a heavy decision that is company threats because we were onto something. Things worked out super well in the beginning of 221. And then suddenly, like everything was drifting towards another direction and we lost the ideal customer. So if you were talking to your younger self of like six months ago, a year ago, you would tell that supplier maybe like, oh, we'd love to do that, but let's wait six months or let's wait a while. We'll get back to you when we can do that, even if you would lose uh, them. I mean, you know that all like Peter, Philip and I, we all like uh, to take risks. <laughs> uh, so technically, I would probably recommend my younger self to still go for it. And because again, it opened a lot of doors and, and things look rather promising right now. But I would probably tell my younger self uh, to take this change more serious uh, and to quickly realize that there are a lot of risks and opportunities involved. Uh, yeah. And that I'm just aware of it. You know, that if I go this step... That means uh, to be ready as well, because that means like yes. getting a, to be able to, to keep that on the long distance. It means you need to, to get more serious for or get a bigger funding round and yeah. all the things coming up after. Because, I mean, technically, if, if we would play that through now with the tips or the do's that I, I provided before, actually, the right approach would have been uh, we realized that there's an opportunity. There's someone that's paying us for the product development, the supplier for traceability. That we then go to our current clients and tell them the rationale. Tell them, hey, look, we are moving our product development roadmap a couple of months. If you don't like it, you're, we do not need to pay for three months. Huh? Because we, we are stopping here the, the value creation progress. And we are aware of that, but what we are building here fits as a very good addition to our platform. And these are the reasons. And there are good reasons because the European Union is currently negotiating a law as part of the Green Deal that is affecting fashion companies, probably more or less of every size. I mean, at least there are no limitations right now that trace where traceability plays a crucial role. And we could have shared that and we said, okay, currently sustainability management is mostly focusing on companies, on the company dimension. And now we're moving a little bit towards the supply chain dimension, this transactions and transaction collection and traceability. This feels a little bit weird for you right now, and it's too early for you, but I forecast, I promise you that in one or two years, this might be relevant for you as well. And there's a group of companies that's already relevant right now. And it's the suppliers, the companies that we also need on the platform in order to give you more value. Because if we can't convince your suppliers, your companies to interact with you, the platform is rather useless. Yeah. Um, and if we would have shared this with them find to find and find compromises in a way to say, hey, look, we know this is not the perfect way for you right now, but we are happy to whatever, yeah, change the contract for this time being and being super honest. I think we could have solved some disappointed conversations that we had um, with the current clients that were just a little bit frustrated, which I fully understand because uh, they said like, yeah, you promised us that we engage you further, that we develop products further and, and further features and, and, and now it's not there and you didn't tell me anything. Communication and transparency is key again. Yeah. 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 And treating them as partners, right? Yeah. Instead of hiding it, be, be the active role and share it. And having a vision of what's going to happen as well. 
because that's you, you can also be transparent but not foresee that coming so that's talking about the risk basically let's move to the next do you send me which is also done here uh you don't have to innovate everything from scratch there are great people out there there's a lot of experience so yes. just tell me a bit more about this yeah i mean i think it's something that we did wrong earlier i think we became we learned a lot from our mistakes here we became a little smarter i mean when you're starting a company technically you need to set up everything. The processes starting from something like accounting, uh, HR, hiring process, uh, marketing processes. But all of this already exists. Yeah, there are very smart people out there that have done it before, that have done it successfully before. So focus on your real innovation, which is usually your products or maybe something else. I don't know, maybe a process like your sales process, but focus on that. Get this right. Drive it. Yeah, because that's where your new value creation lies. The reason why you exist as a company and why you differentiate from all the others and find the experts for the other fields. You don't have to innovate an accounting pro process. And now I'm taking something super boring, but to, just to make it very clear, there are experts that know how you should set up your accounting process that you're not like uh, shooting in your leg because you're not taking it serious enough or you, you do it wrong or you try to innovate your own process and no one can work with it and it's maybe faulty. So that's why I can always just recommend go to experts. I mean. A reason why we said, hey, let's Jill help us out. Yeah. Because you know how to do sales, you know how to grow a sales strategy, a marketing strategy, how to grow a company. And learning from you there was super helpful. And then the last one you sent me is as a founder, quickly understand that there are better experts in every field. Yeah. This is more about internal stuff. I mean, it's something that I think a lot of founders have problems with, V2, uh, letting go of certain things. I mean, first of all, the company, as the bigger it gets, the more difficult it is to overview every process. And on the other side, the bigger the company gets, the more the impact will become apparent that there's someone that's doing it very well or not so well. And probably you as a generalist, because you're a founder, right? You, you have a rough understanding of all the fields, but you're not an expert in any of them. Um, and the earlier you understand that, the more easy your life will be. But this is super difficult because it's first of all about understanding this and then actually letting go and being able to follow that path. And it's two completely different topics, but something to always highlight. So understand and find the experts in each of the elements of the company, a marketing expert, a sales expert. Yeah, maybe someone like a CFO that tells you everything about finance and, and how to set this up. A product expert, a CTO. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're lucky then your founder team Maybe not, but then find someone because it will be probably not you if you have never done it before. And then the other part is after identifying all these fields where you need the expertise, letting go, trust these people. Because if they are the experts and you hired well, ah, they will take over for you and they will do it better than you. Still help, of course, and give guidance uh, based on where the company vision is, but make sure that you leave them enough freedom and let them do their job to get it right. And now this is a uh, wisdom that I share and not always follow myself. But it's something that I try to remind myself of as often as I can. I'd love to go back before we go to the usual questions I ask. Well, my guess is to go back for a second about how you involve the tech and the product team and how you streamline the process of gathering like a feedback of the client. So can you tell us a bit how basically Philip, your co-founder, the CPO, is involved with the tech team and who is taking decisions on, on, on what to basically know 
like how you develop things. If you have an overview of that, of course. Yeah, I would probably even change your formulation or you ask yeah. the question because it's a, it's a two-way communication stream. So it's not only about how does Philip engage yeah. with our techies, but also how the techies engage with Philip. Exactly. So because that's probably where we start. For example, last week, one of our techies was involved in a sales call. So I was calling with the brands. Uh, from Australia, we had like a demo. So I showed them the product from a sales perspective and a tech guy participated in order to see like, not from a product development kind of view, but from a sales point of view, from a business point of view, how the features that he is developing actually are, are used to sell or to create value. Um, and it's both ways. So here we are enabling the tech guys to think for themselves. And I think this already solves a lot of problems because it already helps them that they have a Good, not a perfect, yeah, it's also not that job, but a good understanding of how the product works, how it's used, how it's sold, what the vision is, um, so that when they are going into the feature teams and we're developing in a small group of people, uh, the general direction that they have to walk towards to and how their development part plays into effect in the bigger picture. Because obviously every feature on our platform is kind of connected to another one, making it extremely complex, right? And that's therefore it's super important that everyone at least to a certain extent, has a full understanding of how the platform works, how it's sold, where it creates value, how it should create value, and what the vision is and where we want to move towards to in the future. Then, of course, it's a like a, a cross-functional approach here. We have Peter from the tech side that knows, from my, let's say, limited knowledge when it comes to tech, everything uh, around tech, uh, and he helps here and actually is responsible from the tech product development. Uh, so he's arranging the people in the teams to see who has which strengths and weaknesses so that they fit together. And technically also has the biggest um, responsibility for the, for the team because most of our people in our company are tech people. Around 50% are really programmers, tech engineers. And then Philip comes in and brings the actual business knowledge in yeah, and is moving kind of sideways into it. And Philip and his team, because also Philip is not doing it by himself. So you have two teams. You have a product team where you have designers and developers as well, and you have the tech team separate or? No, it's exactly that. So it's a, it's a cross-functional thing. Ty, uh, uh, Peter's coming from top, is, is kind of splitting up the tech teams and is managing the tech teams from a technical side and is, is building these groups. And then Philip comes in with his product experts kind of on the horizontal line and, and is then kind of contributing to these product, these feature teams, as we call them, uh, with the knowledge. And then usually we go into uh, into sprints, but here I'm definitely not the right person to talk to. But then, um, then we're always going for a certain amount of time in these feature teams, which consist of developers and product experts in into like sprints for two weeks, four weeks. And, and of course, Philip, yes, exactly. And Philip and Peter always make sure that these teams stay on track and still collaborate sufficiently that there's not like suddenly team going in that other direction. And that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. We make a lot of them, but with this structure, we can at least identify them rather early. And that works until now. I mean, let's see how long that is the case. Uh, again, like right now we have like two and then a, like a third feature team is now getting built up. Let's see if we have five feature teams or six, if that still works. Yeah. And, or if Philip and Peter are kind of burned to the ground because it's just getting too much to overview. But until now, that's the, that's a good structure um, where a lot of knowledge from the business side and the tech side actually comes together. Thank you for sharing that. It's going to be very helpful with one of my clients as a woman. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, otherwise here you can, of course, speak to Philip. I mean, give him oh, a call. Yeah. He can I mean, better like, explain you all the I, I, things that we also did wrong here. <laughs> I, I'm planning to develop mission first as a, you know, like now we have the, usually always the founders and we talk about the overall strategy and funding and sales and, and a bit of product as well. But I, I'd love to have some seasons focused on products and some seasons focused on, on marketing and growth. So that will happen. Thank you for sharing all of these advice and preparing these, this list of advice. Start with the usual questions I ask. Uh, what is the best advice you've been given as an entrepreneur? I, I, I think really the one that we are trying to take super serious, and that's this transparency idea. Yeah, Like a client came to me, was not happy. And he said like, hey, you're saying transparency and you're not transparent to me. That hurt. <laughs> it was so right. Uh, and that's why I, that's why also today we talk a lot about this and, and why I'm such a big fan of, again, like treating clients as partners and, and taking every, even if it's a financial and economic relationship, taking them as a collaboration and a super close partnership and just being honest about that. Or say introduce into this partnership by being honest and sharing the full insights and the full picture. Which book would you recommend entrepreneurs like you to read? There are lots of them and I, I'm not reading enough, uh, like Chris Voss, like the one around negotiations has been one of them that actually has last year for me, one of the most important ones, uh, because I'm, I'm representing the company a lot to the outside, being at investors, being at important sales deals, uh, being at other stakeholders, even employees and your employees to convince them to join the company and everything is always around, um, negotiation, right? In the end, it's about selling understanding what the other one needs and uh, getting the necessary information. So this was like one of the books that I enjoyed the most, uh, which was very helpful. Never split the and, difference. Yeah, the exactly. Book. That's the name. Yeah. Again, it's, it's all about negotiation and, and Chris Foss himself, he was a hostage negotiator and like always, uh, told like the, like these crazy stories in there, like how he, because every chapter is kind of introduced with like a hostage situation and how he tried to solve it with this tech, like with his techniques. And it was very helpful. And, and what I realized there, sorry, it's a, but just something that I always like to share is that negotiation is just about getting the right set of information. So about learning. Uh, and there again, like actually the circle closes again, right? So a negotiation is not about who has the, 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 the thickest hat and just like, sticks the strongest to his opinion, but it's about gaining knowledge of the other side, really understanding what are their real pain points. Because obviously they're communicating different things because they're afraid or because maybe they don't know it better themselves. And it's about you to cut through the noise and really understand what they need, really understand where they stand, really understand their fears and hopes and all these kind of things and wishes. And if you do that, if you ask the right questions, you will get out of it by getting what you need. And it's not about, let's say, falling over the other side and then trying to take advantage of them, but it may just help them as well. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed this book. Yeah. It's a page turner. It's also very often recommended in this podcast. What is the, the training or like podcast, blog or influencer you recommend entrepreneurs to follow? Actually, it's a shame, but I guess it's technically really LinkedIn because I'm trying to be rather selective of people that I'm connected to. And with this, of course, to a certain extent, you can influence the algorithm of what's shown in your feed. And obviously everything that I follow is about sustainable fashion. It's about like entrepreneurship and, and founding. Uh, so I get all these reports. So I actually love to scroll through my feed because the content actually fits very well to what, what I like to see. And then like, it's really about like, like fashion newspapers and these kind of things. Uh, and when it comes to more startup-ish things and building a company, 
Um, I'm not even sure if it's a podcast for me. I'm not like the biggest podcast fan myself because if I listen to something like that, I'm always super committed. <laughs> so I'm like, when I just do podcasts, I, I don't switch off. I'm like crazy focused on it. And then after a busy day, like then being so committed uh, to something is sometimes doesn't feel right. But I like love to talk to other founders. Um, and I probably have two or three conversations every week with other founders, with other people from the industry. If you set some kind of processes to a workflow to just get to them all the time, are you in certain groups or are you? No, it just naturally happens um, by kind of being open and sharing thoughts. And this then opens up new opportunities. Um, I mean, just like, you know, you're speaking to a young founder, um, give them maybe some advice. And two years later, uh, they are maybe overtaking in a certain field. And you get back to them and say, hey, you know, remember we talked two years ago. And I've seen you doing something super great right now. I would love to hear about it and like what happened in the last two years uh, when we last spoke. And with this, again, like super transparent and honest view um, where both sides can learn from each other, you end up in a very, a lot of very interesting conversations. And I'm not enforcing it. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But I think on average last year, I probably had a hundred of these conversations. Yeah. And helping each other is, is so important. I mean, it's so crucial, I believe in the current situation with the climate change, the whole green tech community and, and green entrepreneurs yeah. need to help each other because the corporates and the people who are destroying the planet at the moment are there and it's not going to be like we need to, they tend to compete with each other. And actually, if we want to change really the way the, the world works, you have to forget even if you have competitors in your field, if everybody gains from it, there is a world where everybody can gain from it. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, great statement. Plus, I think something very practical that we should never forget. If you are a social entrepreneur, obviously you do it because you like to improve something and you like to help. If you come honestly to a social entrepreneur and you ask for help, I guess it's in the nature of that person to actually help you. And that's great, right? I mean, in that, in that industry where we are working in here, you find a lot of these people that are actually open to share their advice. And, and just benefit from that. And, and I mean, at one point you will make your own experiences and you can give back. And I think this kind of a circle, it's amazing. And I love to participate in that. And yeah, founders likes to talk in general. So it's good that's to true. Just, just ask, just ask them and, and they will just not stop talking anymore. <laughs> and yeah, one last question. So can you tell us one thing about you that I wouldn't be able to find out online? I mean, there's probably not that much stuff about me online, except for like the, the professional stuff I do. I have a small dog and I, I love him. It's one of my, my greatest joys. I actually never thought about that before. We have him now for, for one year. It's uh, called Mitch. It's a Maltese. And I was actually heavily against it. I'm more of a rational person. At least I try to be in my professional life. And I said, ah, so much work and responsibility. You have to take it serious. But my girlfriend wanted it, the dog. <laughs> and so I, of course we got one. Um, and Did we get it for Christmas for, a year ago. Uh, no, it was uh, like a random November, but we have now for one and a half years. The dog coming from space, already nine years old. It's already a, a, a senior uh, and it brings a lot of joy. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, and it helps so much to, at least sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's just too much, but to, to kind of get away from the business and all the thoughts that uh, keep you awake because he has to go outside and you have to do it. So you're forced to leave your desk in the morning, in the evening, and technically also during the day. And that is very helpful. Even if it's sometimes annoying, you know, like you're sitting on the couch and you're whatever going through LinkedIn on your phone and, and like 
seeing news and you're like angry because I don't know, you don't have it or you want to do it too, or it brings you ideas and so on. That one point I have to say, okay, I got the phone away because I have to go outside now. And the dog pays back by being happy and by walking outside and like, you know, drawing about the weirdest things. And, and that's great. I love it. Mitch. Mitch. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Absolutely. Lucas, thank you very much. It was a pleasure as usual to talk to you in a more like formal podcast interview, but as usual, it was a pleasure. Thank you for sharing all these advice and uh, wishing you all the best with, with Retraced and your third target client and looking forward <laughs> to see how all of this is going to roll out and wishing you all the best. One last thing, people can find you on retraced.co, so R-E-T-R-A-C-E-D, retraced.co, and I will also share the link to your LinkedIn profile. Is there anything in particular you want to share? Are you hiring? Are you looking for partners, investors? This is um, something to share at yeah. the moment. Actually, people that would love to participate in our story. So we're always looking for new team members. Um, there are a couple of positions open. And yeah, if someone is interested in, let's say, changing uh, the fashion world as we have it right now, and there's a lot of change necessary, come to us. I would love to have a chat. Thank you very much, Lucas. Have a nice day. Thanks, Gilles. You too. If you like this episode, you can share it with your friends because sharing is caring. And you can give it a five star on Apple podcast because this really helps to make it more visible to other entrepreneurs working on a better future like you. If you are busy and might not have the time to listen to all episodes of this podcast, just a little tip. Sign up for my newsletter on gtimpact.com. You will receive the summary of advice from each episode and you will get personal recommendations on which episode you should focus on depending on your current challenges, your industry, and your startup stage. Thank you very much and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day.